This is Glenn Fleischman subbing for Nick Qua on the Hot Pod newsletter. This is a uh, audio version of an interview that you'll see uh, excerpted in part in the newsletter itself. This is kind of the other way around. It's a newsletter about podcasts, but it's mostly text. But here's a little audio to go with it. I have with me Matthew Amster Burton and Molly Weisenberg. Hello. Hello. Well, the two of you co-host a show called Spilled Milk, and you are fellow Seattle Residents. In fact, we're just a couple miles apart from each other in respective uh, uh, super high-tech sound studios in which we record various mm-hmm. podcasts. Exactly. Basements, dining rooms, all across exactly. Seattle. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. Well, but you demonstrate, I think, some of the things that are great about podcasting is that we don't need studios to produce high-quality audio and entertaining programming. Now, can you imagine if, if we had to go into a studio to do our show and we were constantly leaving crumbs all over some <laughs> professional recording studio? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be great. But tell me a little bit about uh, Spilled Milk, which, uh, as we record this, has 167 episodes posted. Yeah. So we started the show in January of 2010. So it's about uh, a little over five years old now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are a weekly comedy show about food. Yes. I think in the beginning we we... I don't know. I, I at least was was thinking maybe we needed to be sort of serious and very informative. And then we discovered that the shows that worked best and that made us happiest were the ones where we just made each other laugh a lot. Now we uh, we meet up every couple weeks, tape a few episodes and and try to make each other laugh while also eating good food and, and talking about some of the stuff we like to eat. Sometimes it's good food. Sometimes it is the most That's unspeakable true. junk food. That's true. Well, I thought it's, it was sort of funny is when you started out, I thought, how do you do this is like a show about photography, a podcast uh, about right. photography. Look at this wonderful photo. But you you're conveying kind of what people convey in food writing is that when I'm reading an article about food or reading a restaurant review, I, I can't taste it. And you're painting the same kind of picture in my head of the experience. But but added to that, this is it's not a show exactly about food. I like the way you put that now that it's I think before you were a show about food that was also funny. Now you're kind of a comedy show that's about food. Yeah, and I totally stole that line from uh, the the Maximum Fun show, One Bad Mother, where they say they're a comedy podcast about parenting, not a parenting podcast. If, <laughs> if someone comes to our show looking to really get educated about uh, some subject, some food subject that we're covering, they are definitely going to go w- away disappointed. If yeah. Yeah, if they're looking to get silly for 20 minutes, hopefully they'll have a good time. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to talk to you guys in particular, not just because I, I know Matthew very well and Molly, I've, I've met you a number of times and I kind of know what I've listened to the show for years. I know what it's about, but because I think you guys a, a little bit like me and I, I have, don't have the same um, staying power, not yet with the podcast, <laughs> but someday but I've got, so I've got some runs under my belt, but that um, we're, I think, more typical of that bulk in the middle for podcasts. So you were just mentioning Maximum Fun. <laughs> I know all about bulk in the middle. <laughs> Bulk in the middle. That's a, that's your next week's show. How do you help with that bulk in the yeah. middle? Bulk bins. Uh, well, but the the maximum fun and Gimlet and uh, there's a lot of networks now that have started up that either start with uh, somebody extremely well known who's coming to a podcast, or they've through dint of hard effort built a really broad base and built something up like Mark Marin, who's also recording mm-hmm. in his garage. It's nicer Absolutely. than his garage yeah. used to be. Um, you know, he's he's a big uh, proponent of that that kind of growth. But, but I think most people are like us is that we don't have a big media brand behind us. I mean, there's podcasts at all the media brands. Now there are big kind of, uh, you know, organically grown podcasts like Jesse Thorne and his empire. Sure. Uh, and then, but most of us are like us. Most of us are like us that we're, <laughs> yeah. that that's pretty deep. I'm uh, sorry about that. And we're bringing an audience with us. So I, I know you guys have, you come from um, related backgrounds in terms of, uh, you know, writing a lot about food and having that sort of audience, but how did you 
build the audience you have? How do you cultivate an audience for a show that doesn't have, say, you know, 500,000 downloads, but has no. many thousands of downloads and mm -hmm. listeners? I don't know. From my perspective, it's really been very organic. It, it took Matthew and I a while to, to sort of even realize that the show was going to work. Oh, um, definitely. And, and so for me, I feel like, I don't know, Matthew, what do you think? Or was there like a moment when things suddenly clicked and we got a lot of listeners? Well, there were, there were a couple of things. I mean, we picked up some uh, up front because, because Molly has, has a, a well-known blog, Orin Jet, um, that has, that has a lot of regular readers. And I think, um, you know, some, some maybe one or 2000 people first checked us out because she mentioned us there. Mm -hmm. Um, then we were, we were promoted pretty well by iTunes a few weeks into the show and that picked up, um, another few thousand listeners. And then it's built pretty slowly and steadily over there. I think, I feel like mostly through word, word of mouth, we, we do very little to promote the show. Probably we should do more. Um, but we're always, you know, we're, we're busy. And if we're going to put, uh, some extra effort into the show, we, we try and, uh, Put use it into that, the show. That, yeah, put it directly into the show. Yeah. And I think that's uh, that's one of the strategies, it seems to me, is that you're taking an audience. I, I think this is true of blogs or anything that we do where we're trying to create an independent creation is you're taking an audience you've already found. And, and either you're taking it and bringing it with you to the podcast or using the podcast to bring an audience to another venture. And I think that has happened to both of you, right? I mean, uh, Molly, you've got two books out. Matthew has multiple books. Uh, the, the one that I think got the most attention is the is Hungry Monkey that had a, a you know national impact. And, and Molly, your book Delancey and A Homemade Life, those both of mm -hmm. those books uh, are New York Times bestsellers. So that certainly, those are audiences that found you, but then, then came to you, but also audiences that from finding you on the podcast then come into these other ventures. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been surprised. There's, um, you know, there's certainly a lot of overlap between the podcast audience and the people who read our blogs, read our books, but it is a smaller overlap than I anticipated. I imagined it would be like almost 100%, but there are a lot of people who listen to the show who never read anything that we write. They're comedy fans rather than food people, and I think that's great. That makes me really happy. Yeah, I think I think that is the, the, the part of the, the listenership I am most proud of. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And you've uh, tried a lot of different models as you've gone, as I know that the, uh, let's say traditional, because podcasting goes back so many years, the <laughs> traditional <laughs> podcast model is some kind of advertising sponsorship um, overlap. And then and then you all also, you know, like I said, you're selling things, although not always directly. Uh, you know, Matthew, you have books you've self-published that you sure. are essentially selling directly that people can buy and the money goes right into your pocket. Uh, but that's one model. And it's often, as I found as well, it's hard to build up the, the momentum where advertisers keep coming back to you again and again, unless you have something in that hundreds of thousands of range. I think for shows, yep. especially in the low 10,000s, it's very hard to generate the response an advertiser wants for the kind of money that's worth it to collect in the first place. So you're mm -hmm. trying different things besides that. You've got memberships and you're and you've also are trying live shows. How how, uh, how have those gone for you with the size of audience you have? I mean, should we start talking start oh, with uh, advertising membership or live shows? Let's let's pick one and and, and oh yeah, well, advertising. Yeah. I mean, you've had you've had advertisers at times over the last. Uh, I mean, I, I you know I should say I don't know exactly how consistently you've had them. I know when I was doing uh, new disruptors, they would come and go. In some periods, oh, yeah. I would yeah. get months at a time. Uh, absolutely, that's that's been our experience. Also, um, you know, we we have done Squarespace ads, and we and we enjoy doing Squarespace ads. We've done a few other uh, advertisers here and there. It's not it's not a major source of income for us by any means. Yeah, I have been really pleasantly surprised by how well the the donation or subscription yeah. model has worked. It's something that I, I have often wondered if it would work for blogs as well, yeah. because it has worked so well for podcasting. But I, I'm not I'm not sure. I, th I think that people experience uh, audio content in a, in a different way. There has long been a tradition, you know, of, of, of donating money to 
audio stuff you like, NPR, whatnot. Yeah, I mean, I think a good uh, there's there's that uh, that public radio model behind it, and then there's also the sense that when you're listening to a good regular podcast, you know, it is like s- sitting around with friends, and you mm-hmm. feel like you're part of their conversation, mm-hmm. and it's not not a long, not a big step from there to saying, oh, you know, I feel enough part of this that uh, I'm willing to kick in five or ten dollars a month to keep this going. It, and it's made a huge difference for us. Oh, I yeah. mean, for the first four years, we did it totally out of pocket, and we do all of our recording in Matthew's apartment. He bought all uh, all of the equipment, and I have to say that as your co-host, Matthew, I'm very glad that you're not paying for all of this out of pocket anymore. <laughs> yeah, me too. As your co-host, I agree. Yes. <laughs> Well, that's an interesting point, too, is I feel like the quality that you have to uh, meet as a podcaster really went up a few years ago, that it used to be okay to do something that was, uh, you know, it's not like it was low quality, but people, I guess when there were fewer people listening, they would cope with more because they were listening really intently. And now, really, we're all at a public radio Mm -hmm. level. Like, you don't have to edit your shows as tightly as public radio. You know, we can have the talkie shows. A lot of shows are casual talking, kind of like talk radio. But the sound quality, I think if you have a show that doesn't sound pretty crisp it stands out in the pack now oh absolutely and i think i think that's a good thing i really wish there was more uh documentation for for new podcasters on like how to do how to get a basic setup without spending a thousand dollars and uh, and how to get good sound quality uh you know from episode one it seems like everyone is kind of stuck bumbling through it themselves and i don't i don't really know why that is yeah i don't think there's a big enough market is the thing I guess, there are yeah. some you know 100 i think a lot of podcasts are produced by uh, you know at a little bit of a higher end like people in studios or I shouldn't say a lot the ones that are most listened to that's not a problem the ones that are less listened to we have fewer resources and uh you know although sure the mic company is coming out with some really podcaster specific products kind of oh, yeah. picking up on the success of blue and uh, some of the other companies that have made them so there's going to be some new uh, less expensive options coming this summer which is oh, interesting but but so what are you bringing to your members why do people donate or do you know why they donate and what do you give them that's outside of the free available podcast feed Oh, a bunch of stuff. We just actually today recorded a bonus episode. We do, is it? Twice a year. Twice a year we do bonus episodes for our subscribers. Um, And at any point when someone becomes a subscriber, they have access to the the back library of bonus episodes. We do that. Uh, We do a newsletter, which Matthew writes. It's always very witty. We also send a handwritten Thank you, postcard. And for people who subscribe at the Magnum Bonum Sustaining Member level, <laughs> which is at $10 a month, they receive a spilled milk tote bag or mug or T-shirt, whichever one of their choice. And when we when we do the pledge drive message, which we do uh, twice a year, just, just one episode each time because we don't want to be bugged with pledge drive messages too often either, um, we, we really try and put the focus on, yes, we, we are giving you some some stuff in exchange for, for your pledge. But, you know, like with NPR, the real reason to do it is because you want to be part of this. You want to sustain this. You know, it'll feel good just to give us your money. You know, and, and that's you know, it sounds it sounds absurd. But like, you know, as, as a donor to podcast myself, it's totally true. I, I think we've been we've been good at kind of getting that idea across and like setting subscribers expectations so so they know kind of what they're going to get out of it and and feel satisfied. And and I think that we've been pretty clear too about our our feeling that the show should always remain free. Yeah. So um yeah, so it, it's not something where we're uh, putting up a paywall. It, we want the show to be free, but 
We're just trying to find a way to not have it take money out of our pockets. Yeah. I think the issue of um, offering like a back catalog is really interesting. I know that Mark Marin, I don't know if he pioneered that, but he had an app early on, I want to say three years ago or more, where you'd essentially buy back catalog or or have a, some kind of subscription and that helps sustain the show. And I was just listening to the wonderful program, Answer Me This. And even though you can use their RSS feed to get old episodes, and I forget how far back that goes, they sell their back catalog too as individual episodes in addition oh, to having advertising. Yeah, it's a really interesting idea so that they're not making it unavailable. You can catch up on, I think I just went and downloaded, I don't know, 10 or 15 from the RSS feed, but you go to a certain point and they have timeless content which it seems like you guys are doing too, that your stuff isn't necessarily rooted in a specific you know, event or cause or maybe a trend or a thing that happened in the news. But I could listen to one of your episodes uh, from you know, 2011 and it's not going to seem irrelevant. There, there's not like a right. new form of bacon discovered in the pig. Well, <laughs> oh, I don't know, be. maybe you did yeah, no, that's, that's very deliberate that, uh, that when we first conceived the show, that, that was uh, a, a very something, a specific goal of ours that, that we wanted people to, you know, if you discover our show and you like it, um, we want you to enjoy going back and listening to uh, as many, you know, far back until they start to get really bad. How yeah, about that? yeah. Don't go any further back than that. <laughs> yeah, don't go beyond like episode 21, maybe. <laughs> well, you have to get your feet. And that's the thing that's interesting is there's a little bit of a, a high wire act. If you're starting with a lot of people coming with you, I, I think people starting from scratch may have that fear. Or if you're starting with where you're not sure if anyone is going to listen, you may have that fear oh, sure. of jumping in because it does take a while to, you know, to get the, the editing right, the sound the yep. personality mix and you guys have had a rapport from the very beginning because i've been listening back since the original that's true money is always a tricky topic and i hate to ask anybody how much they make but how much do you make no it's the uh <laughs> what part of your living or where does this fit into now that you have some revenue streams is it a, a significant part or is it a hey it helps us cover the cost and the time but really this is something we do out of love and it helps maybe give us a bigger reach to what we're doing, but it's not, um, let's say, a fundamental part of how you how you uh, work for a living. Let's let's put it this way. So having subscription revenue enabled us to go from bi-weekly to weekly. And it also, and we were able to do that because we were able to hire a producer, um, Abby, who uh, who works about 10 hours a month for us and, you know, editing editing audio and, and doing social media and posting episodes and uh, FTPing stuff around and that sort of thing. That That's just made an enormous difference for us. Mm -hmm. It means, you know, we can... We can come in, sit, and do the show, and most of the rest of it is, is taken care of for us. Mm -hmm. That uh, certainly requires uh, hundreds of dollars in revenue a month, and uh, <laughs> so uh, so that's and that's about where we are. Yeah, I would say that that for me, yeah, I I think of this as something that I do because I love it, and it, it is my favorite part of my many jobs. Mm -hmm. The you know the the little bit of of money that drops into my bank account every now and then from it is really wonderful, but it's not why I do it. That is a, it seems like a wonderful thing. So you're, the, the money enables you to do this out of enjoyment instead of having to sort of cram for the time to make it possible. Right. Yes, absolutely. So you've got a live show coming up and this is going to be at uh, town hall in Seattle and, uh, and which is a, a fairly large space and you guys are Seattleites and people know you in town from your writing and from restaurants and uh, all kinds of places. So, so you are a known quantity here. How did, how did that come about and what do you hope to get out of it? Well, we recently did, uh, back at the end of January, we did uh, a live show at Book Larder, the, um, the culinary bookstore in Fremont. We had about 60 people there. We sold out. At that event were a couple of town hall people who expressed an Townies, we call them. Townies, yeah. <laughs> who um, 
invited us to, to come to a show at Town Hall, and Matthew and I both promptly fainted. And <laughs> exactly. somebody brought up the smelling salts. No, Town Hall really, I, I feel like, um, so I, I used to work in book publicity at the University of Washington Press, and I remember, you know, always trying to get an author placed at Town Hall. It felt like a real coup. So this feels really exciting to me. We're not making money off of live shows, certainly not at this point. If, if that happens someday, that would be great. It's, uh, you know, I think it's good publicity for us. And for me, you know, speaking speaking personally and, and maybe like a little sentimentally, like I I have wanted to do comedy. Like I, I thought, you know, when I was eight years old that that comedy was going to be my career. I tried stand-up comedy. I've, I was not very good at it. It was an, or, an enormous amount of work and, uh, and bombed on stage a couple of times. For me, this represents like finding a way using, using modern, modern tools and uh, social media and podcasting and that sort of thing to do comedy in, in a new way that suits my strengths as a comedian, you know, to get up and, and like do a show in, in front of a hundred people and have them laugh at, at our jokes just is incredibly satisfying to me. Incredibly satisfying. I would second that. Well, having run live sound for a live event of yours a few years ago, right. I uh, <laughs> seem so distant now. It's the distant past. Let's uh, forget I can tell, about that one. I know. Isn't that funny? Oh, no, it was great. It was a great show. There were sound, there were sound issues, good. but yeah. speaker problems. But once we got those solved. Uh, but, you know, you, you guys do have a great command of an audience. And, and that's what's funny about a podcast is that we're so often in a room alone <laughs> yeah. with somebody else and doing this. And uh, I think the live experience, I'm testing a live series now, and I've done some live events, and those help for me carry over that energy into the podcast when it yeah. is just me and one other person sometimes you know 8,000 miles away absolutely well Molly and Matthew uh, where can we find your podcast on the internets all of them we are at spilledmilkpodcast.com or just search for spilled milk on iTunes and it'll be easy to find mm-hmm. and they can find you on the Twitter at Mamster, M-A-M-S-T-E-R and at Molly Orangette that's Orangette in the French spelling if it's a French word, I don't know if it's a French word. <laughs> it is a French Sounds word. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's lovely. It's not courgette, orange. Thank you so much for uh, for talking about what you're doing with the podcast and good